Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about blockchain and voting. And I'm joined by Sheila Nix, president of Tusk Philanthropies, and Jason Truppi, the co-founder of Shift State Security. Sheila, Jason, welcome to the show. I want to start with Sheila. How did you get involved in blockchain and voting technology? Uh, well, I worked for many years in politics and campaigns and also worked in government as chief of staff to some U.S. senators in the White House for Jill Biden, the vice president's wife. I ran Joe Biden's campaign in 2012 as part of the Obama re-election. So I spent a lot of time around voting and democracy issues. And when I left the White House, one of the things that you know was really interesting to me is how can we make it easier to vote? And I work at Tusk Philanthropies with Bradley Tusk, who is our CEO and founder. He and I worked together in politics about 10 years ago and reconnected because one of the things we realized is that the low voter turnout was really hurting our democracy. There too few people were voting, therefore the politicians were only accountable to them. This isn't really such a big issue in the big presidential campaigns, but in local primaries and other types of elections. So based on some of Bradley's experience around Uber and the use of engaging people to weigh in with their local elected officials, if we made it easier for people to vote, if they could vote on their phones, if they could really participate um, and not have to worry about standing in lines at the polling place or not being able to make it because you were picking your kid up from school, what could that look like? And so we came up with the concept of let's explore whether there's an interest from election officials, whether the technology existed to do this safely and securely. And it turns out that there is a lot of interest and there is really good technology, some of it blockchain, some of it cloud-based and other things that we believe can really advance the security and technology around mobile voting. And so we've been able to conduct about 12 pilot elections over the last two years across six states in the U.S., for military um, and overseas voters, for voters with disabilities, in some small local elections, everyone was able to use their phones to vote. And we've really seen good results in terms of turnout. We've audited all the elections. There's been no security problems. And so anyway, we're working to continue to do this, to continue to improve on the technology and to really bring this to scale so that in five to 10 years, every voter in the U.S. would at least have the option of using their phone to vote. Thanks, Sheila. Sounds like you've got the perfect credentials to be working in this space. Jason, how about you? How did you find your way into the mobile voting and blockchain space? Sure. Thanks for having me on. So my background is in technology. I've been doing technology-related projects for 20-plus years. I have a computer science background. More notably, where I really got introduced into blockchain, I was recruited into the FBI during a time where they were looking for people with computer science backgrounds to start doing investigations into criminal and nation-state intrusions in the U.S., so looking after hackers that were doing nefarious activities here in the U.S. So I got recruited in the FBI in a 2007 timeframe, landed in New York City as my first office of assignment, and started one of the first cyber national security squads in the FBI. This was really interesting. You know, we were looking at a lot of different nation state actors, China, Russia, Iran, 
North Korea, all the ones you hear in the news nowadays, we were investigating those state-sponsored groups that were hacking into the financial infrastructure. And in 2009, when the Satoshi White Paper came out, we got a notice from intelligence that this thing called blockchain could disrupt the financial institutions or change the way that people do global transfer of value. It was something that we watched, but it wasn't really on the government radar until probably later in 2010, 2011, when hackers, not only nation state, but criminal hackers were using Bitcoin to transfer value and do money laundering and other kind of nefarious activities with that blockchain. So we started taking a closer look at it, obviously, from the government perspective. Then there was the Silk Road indictment, which came out of the New York field office. I wasn't directly involved, but I knew a lot about the case. So that was kind of my first introduction. I, I was actually, as a technologist, I was very impressed you know, with blockchain and the problems that were solved. I was a little skeptical about the financial value to it, but definitely for data storage and integrity and, and validation, blockchain was definitely super exciting for me personally. And I continued to follow it. I, I ended up leaving government, came back to private sector for a little bit, did some engineering work. In 2018, we started our company, Shift State Security, and I also co-founded two blockchain companies, one called Dizius Capital, which was acquired by Galaxy Digital, and, and another one called PayDrop, which is a payments platform. And so I got really deep into the blockchain space. Andre McGregor and myself, who's my co-founder, we started this company, really started in blockchain. We were doing security of blockchain companies, so, so really looking at the people, processes, and technology within these blockchain companies because they were being highly targeted by criminal hackers to steal their intellectual property, steal their money, their Bitcoin or their altcoins. And so we got really deep into the space. We were also looking at vulnerabilities in the blockchain, which we'll probably talk about later on in this show, about what things can be exploited within blockchains and why should we be concerned. How that turned into voting, because of our security company, we were introduced to Bradley Tusk and the Tusk Philanthropy Group. They were looking to do safe mobile voting, and they came to us for our security expertise to look at projects and make sure that the projects that they were bringing in front of jurisdictions were, in fact, safe to use. And, and that's what we've been doing. We, we are now experts in election security. We've looked at all of the normal processes of voting, which was really new to me up until 2018 timeframe. And now, you know, we've evaluated over 20 different companies that do some sort of mobile voting. They don't all use blockchain, but they all have some sort of mobile voting capabilities. And I'm very happy to be here to talk more about it. Brilliant. And so we understand how the two threads come together. It definitely feels like we've got the right capability to talk about this particular domain because I know it's sensitive and contentious. Sheila, I want to start with you. Obviously, you've got a long history in politics and working with politicians and voting. How did the transition to blockchain technology come about? And talk us through what are the characteristics of blockchain technology that were most attractive when you started working it? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, when we first started the project, we weren't really even sure what kind of voting technology was out there that would achieve our goal of making it easier for people to use their phones to vote in a safe and secure way. And so we started looking at companies that were out there in the space, and we found a few that were using blockchain technology. And what I really like about blockchain is that you have a permanent record of the vote. And if we figure out the right tools, people could actually go in and see that their vote was counted the right way. And so that's different than a lot of the methodology that exists right now in the current system. And it seems to me that it was, you know, blockchain can provide a very safe and secure way of voting. 
and it can't be tampered with in the same way that other technologies can. And so I think there's a lot of appeal in that. And as we go forward, building on some of the core functions of blockchain, I think we'll really end up with a safe and secure product that allows people to be able to actually go in and, and check that their vote was recorded and recorded properly. And that would be really moving things along in, a, in an amazing way. Very good. And Jason, obviously, from a technical perspective, you were looking at slightly more nefarious actors before you started and then found your way into voting. How did that initial conversation with Tusk go? Or what were some of the early use cases you guys discussed together? Yeah, I mean, because I have a computer science background, in fact, I founded the cryptography club at my university. I don't know if that's good to admit or not, but I've always been interested in cryptography and interesting ways to implement it, obviously, for security use cases. What fascinated me about Satoshi's white paper and, and kind of the initial talk about blockchain was the way that cryptography was used to cryptographically prove the data and how it's been transmitted and distributed across nodes that not necessarily can be easily tampered with or taken over by some nefarious actor. Now, if you apply that to voting, this is kind of where we had the conversation with Tusk initially was we were experts in blockchain security and blockchain companies in general, and Tusk was experts in voting. And so to us to say, hey, how can we marry these two things together and come up with a plan to find a mobile voting solution that's going to work for all of us? After looking into the voting side for me personally, because again, I, I wasn't really familiar with you know, how votes were electronically transmitted, it was actually kind of scary the first time I found out how we were conducting elections currently. And one of the things that I recognized, and this is to Sheila's point, is that there is actually no way for you as a voter to determine that your vote actually got counted. You can determine that you have submitted your vote currently but via the paper means and, and kind of electronic means that exist, but there's no way to say that my vote actually got counted in this election. And part of that is just the process of each jurisdiction is completely inconsistent. There's no unified way of transmitting, marking data, transmitting it, sending it to jurisdictions, and then counting that data. And when it comes to cryptographic systems like blockchain or Hashgraph or other cryptographic systems, we actually have a chance to be able to let voters actually determine whether their vote got counted. And I thought that was a really interesting concept coming into this project. And it's something that I've, outside of the business that we're hired to do, which is finding secure mobile voting solutions, my personal mission is to really figure out a way that we can actually know that our vote got counted in the elections. And that's a personal mission of mine. And, and that's what made me really excited about working with Tusk. Fascinating. I never really thought about it that way before. But as you say that, it's like, well, actually, yeah. How could you possibly be held accountable? And how could I individually be able to track that information? Sheila, you mentioned there have been a number of projects that you've worked on now across the states where mobile voting and blockchain have been worked together. Could you talk us through a couple of those? How did it start? What was involved? And what were some of the feedback or the outcomes from the projects you've been working with already? Yeah, sure. So the first pilot election we did was in 2018 in the state of West Virginia. And the Secretary of State there, Mac Warner, was really interested in making it easier for deployed military voters to vote. He had been in the military himself. He has four children in the military. And, you know, it was a really frustrating situation that people who are serving the country and are abroad can't really vote. You know, they're, they don't have access to a fax machine or a scanner or all these other types of equipment that would be required under the normal absentee process. 
So we were put in touch with him as we were just getting started on this. And we found a company called Votes that was based in Massachusetts. And they have a blockchain technology voting app. And so that was the first one we used. And when it was very small, we just tried it in two of the counties in West Virginia in March of 2018. But then everything went well and they expanded it to 24 counties in November. And so they really ended up liking it and the military members that used it. And it was also available to any other kind of expats, overseas voters to be able to vote more easily. And so the feedback was really good. And we went into 2019 thinking, you know, there's not that many elections in 2019, but it turns out a lot of municipalities and county elections were held. And the next big one we did also with votes was in um, Denver. And the city of Denver had their mayoral and municipal elections and their runoff. And they ended up, it was really nice. They were able to survey all the voters who used it. And 100% of the voters that used the system were excited about it, liked it, and really wanted to use it again. And we were able to do an audit post-election and found no security problems and no issues. And voter turnout within that population increased by 100%, which is exactly what we were hoping would happen. So those were kind of the first major ones that we did. I'll let Jason talk a little bit about some of the other vendors that are out there and how some of them use blockchain to a smaller or greater extent. Got you. And in those projects in West Virginia or Denver, how did you pitch the proposition? Did they come to you? Did you go to them? Yeah. So at Tusk, we played the role of a matchmaker almost. So we we end up hearing from a jurisdiction that they might have an interest. And then we say, like, here's a couple vendors in the space that you can choose from. And then we also work with an organization called the National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs. And they do kind of the management of the project. And then they do the post-election audit. So basically, we introduced the company, the vendor, to the election jurisdiction And then they were able to have their technology people talk to each other and make sure that it worked into their current system. I mean, one of the things that's both the pro and con of the systems here in the U.S. is that I think there's over 500 election jurisdictions between counties and cities and states. And so everyone has different equipment and does this, you know, this new thing fit in with what they currently have. But it also gives us an opportunity to do pilot elections. I was talking to someone once in the UK who was interested in the idea of mobile voting, but you would have to have a national approval of that. Whereas here you can do it state by state or county by county. And interestingly, you know, the cities and the counties sometimes are more interested in trying something new and being able to to pilot something so that over time, hopefully, that will lead to more and larger elections being able to use this technology to vote. And as ever, some of the best things start small and scale from there. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Jason, I'm curious, from a technical standpoint, what's required in terms of implementation, integration, standing up these sorts of pilots? It's actually very complex. We've evaluated about 20 different companies at various stages in their product development lifecycle from very early startup, just ideas, all the way to really integrated systems that have been used in major elections in Europe to medium-sized pilots such as votes in West Virginia and Denver. So the way I like to break it down for most people is into several different components that are important to understand when you're implementing a voting platform, period. So the first part is voter authentication, verification, and validation. So you have to have some way to validate, verify, and authenticate a voter in a platform such as this. That doesn't necessarily mean 
blockchain is involved there. You know, there are identity providers. There are just basic integrations into the Department of State's DMV system. There are mail-in codes, QR codes that you can send or numbers, you know, unique, uniquely identified numbers. You can use other systems like LexisNexis. So it gets kind of complex and, and, and it's very different and it varies from jurisdictions, legal point of view, and then also from the vendor's capabilities. So that's the first piece. The next one is how do you ballot mark? So how do you mark a ballot and then validate that that ballot has been marked? So that's kind of the next step. After that, you, then you have to think about how is the data stored, transmitted securely from either a mobile device or a computer all the way to some sort of backend system that's storing that data and calculating that data. This is where actually blockchain comes into play in most cases that we've identified is where after the data has been marked and the ballot has been marked and, and sent, the data is actually stored and verified and validated in a blockchain of some sort or some sort of cryptographic method to determine that that data has not been manipulated or changed, whether in transit or at rest. So that's really where blockchain comes in. I, I think people get a little confused around where blockchain actually fits in voting technology. It's really that kind of middle piece. The next piece would be when you have to send the data and all the data that you're collecting, you need some way to look for threats against that data. So you need to look for people that are trying to log in and authenticate incorrectly. You need to look for malicious actors trying to do distributed denial of service attacks. So there's some component of security operations that needs to occur on the back end for a platform. And then lastly, the connection to the jurisdiction. And this is also one of the areas that we've identified that's high risk for most of these, these vendors because ultimately the vendors have to send the data back to the jurisdictions and then the jurisdictions have to do something with that data. And in that case, again, because there's no standard security process or policy that's countrywide, this can vary greatly. So as I said, it's very complex but generally speaking, you have some companies, some mobile voting platforms that just do ballot marketing, for example, something like Democracy Live, where they do ballot marking and transmission. They don't use any blockchain. They don't store the data. It goes directly to the jurisdictions. Then you have other platforms that are full platforms like Votes or Seidel, which we've evaluated, that do end-to-end -end voting platforms. So all the way from authentication, validation, and verification to the submission to the jurisdiction. So it varies how it gets implemented. And this is something that when we talk about key takeaways, uh, what we learned during this process is that we really feel that there needs to be, first of all, a set of standards for security on the jurisdiction side and, and processes. And then there should be a set of specific standards for these mobile voting companies. And that's something that we're working on with Tusk and some other people in the space to come up with a what is a standard, what it should look like. Um, should it be closed sourced applications? Should it be open source applications? And that's an initiative that we're working on now. And I think standards, as with every blockchain initiative or every decentralized initiative, is absolutely critical. And oftentimes it needs to be somebody like a Tusk or an impartial third party who's prepared to take the time and invest in bringing people together to define those standards. Otherwise, you're not going to make progress. Jason, I'm going to ask the blockchain a question because I know it's interesting to me and I'm sure the audience will want to know. Can you tell us about the blockchain platforms that are being used or how the nodes are being hosted to enable these sorts of propositions? Absolutely. You have to think about you know, how the blockchain consensus algorithm really works to determine which blockchain you want to use. 
in mobile voting, we've seen a variety of different blockchains or just you know regular cryptographic functions like a hash graph being used. And it, and it varies from company to company. Generally speaking, they're all using open source technology. So no closed source blockchains that I've identified have been used. Some of them have been slightly modified, but in ways that are just really for integration purposes and, and not really change dramatically from the consensus algorithms that are working. When you look at proof of work, which is where you have nodes that are processing data that can be distributed amongst any number of machines individually, this is one method that we've seen used in production. And, and one way that we've mitigated against threats for that particular scenario is that it was a combination of the vendor hosting nodes in a data center, the jurisdiction hosting nodes in the cloud, and then a trusted third party also hosting nodes in a different cloud. And you would you would change the different cloud providers, the different data centers, and make sure that those nodes have the proper security protocols in place for securing the data. So that's one way that we've seen it implemented in these jurisdictions. And that can extend even further. So in the one case with votes in West Virginia, votes just for the sake of simplicity hosted all the nodes themselves in two different cloud providers, Azure and AWS. And that was acceptable for our, our small pilot. But when you start scaling it to a larger election, you know, we have to get a little bit more creative on how we distribute those nodes. Now, if you look at proof of stake or delegated proof of stake type consensus algorithms, it's very similar. And I think when we look at scaling this to larger elections, we're going to have to really think about who are going to be those delegates and who are going to be the people that are going to be able to process this information. Are they going to be trusted parties? Are they going to be completely independent parties? Are they going to be part of the actual Democratic and Republican parties in some cases? So these are all really interesting things that we've been thinking about and that we've deployed in elections. Sounds like it is primarily public blockchain platforms that are underpinning these solutions. Is that right? That's correct. We've seen, like I said, Hashgraph. We've seen things like Hyperledger. We've seen some modifications of other blockchains as well. And we, from the shift state security side, we definitely encourage as much open source capabilities as possible, especially when it comes to the blockchain portion of storing and validating the data. We're also really encouraging more open source applications around the authentication, validation, and verification. So we'd like to see some of these vendors really step into those spaces and not have to build their own systems that they're not familiar with. Let these voting companies concentrate on the ballot marking and the storage and the transmission, and then let other companies that are experts in identity authentication and validation uh, do the work there. Sheila, I know that one of the famous quotes in at least that blockchain has recognized is Vitalik Buterin saying that voting is probably one of the last platforms that blockchain should be used for. But it feels like you're making progress. The idea of using blockchain for voting clearly polarizes opinions. But what are some of the challenges or some of the counter arguments that you face to using the technology? So with us, I think it's more people's lack of understanding of what blockchain is. And I think because the initial time that people heard the use of blockchain, it was all around cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And that also seemed very foreign to an average election official or voter. And so interestingly, we talked when we very first started doing these pilots, we talked a lot about the technology being blockchain, because as we've discussed already, the security provisions seemed so great and it's an added level of accountability in the voting system. So we often talked about this being blockchain technology, but what we found is that, first of all, most people don't really care what the technology is on the back end of something, and that by using the term blockchain, we were 
almost scaring people or making them more apprehensive or thinking it was a you know fly by night kind of operation. So while we really liked the use of blockchain on the back end, we really ended up stopping talking in a lot of detail, except to, you know, obviously those who are interested in the technology, but to the average person or the average jurisdiction, we didn't really get into the fact that it was blockchain because honestly, just like so many other functions that people do these days on their mobile phones, they don't know or really care what what's supporting it and what's making it secure. So that was kind of a lesson that we learned early on that, you know, yes, when we're talking to the security people and the technology people, we should be clear about it. But when we're talking to most people, um, it's not really a necessary type of discussion to even have. And Jason, I suspect from a technology standpoint, anything that's relatively nascent or relatively new is going to be a challenge to the architects or the established technology practitioners in the sector. What are some of the technical questions or the technical observations that you get given when you start talking about using blockchain for voting? Yeah, I think the first thing is just the misconception that blockchain is the entire platform used for voting. And, and as I described, it's one of the many pieces that are needed to deploy when doing a mobile voting system. If you asked me personally from a technical level, what would I rather have just a standard database storing voter data, which is what happens in most jurisdictions or sitting on a file server, for an example, in CSV files or having blockchain in place to validate and verify and, and authenticate all of those transactions, I would choose blockchain every single time. Blockchain is now used quite heavily in IT systems to do things like immutable logs, immutable data, record keeping, and it's very useful for that. So I don't necessarily agree that blockchain should not be used in, in mobile voting. In fact, I think it's a better solution that currently exists. Now, is it infallible? No. There are still challenges that we have to deal with. So a lot of the challenges are around, just as you described, is where are the nodes hosted? How are they secured? Because I think there's this inherent trust and security of blockchain just because it has the cryptographic proofs to tell you that the data has not been manipulated. But that doesn't mean that the data that goes into the blockchain could be manipulated and bad. And that comes from the nodes that are actually solving the blockchain algorithms to create the data that lives on the blockchain. And so you have to protect those nodes just like you would protect any database or any computer or any laptop, any mobile device. So that's an area that we get a lot of questions around is how are you protecting the data? Where are you storing the nodes? The other one that comes up quite a bit is what type of blockchain is being used and how it's being used. Because in some cases, there are people that are storing subsets of the voter data on the blockchain. And in other cases, it's just a hash of the data that refers back to an anonymous ID that's related to the voter. So it depends on what type of data is actually pushed to the blockchain and each vendor does it slightly differently. So that's another area. And then another area that we get a lot to is not necessarily related to blockchain itself, but it's more about the devices that are actually casting the ballots, which then get pushed to the blockchain. And so this is a lot of questions around the security of browsers, the security of mobile devices, the security of mobile operating systems like iOS and Android. And, and those are the generally the, the main questions we get when asked about blockchain and kind of the mobile voting process. And Sheila, you mentioned there's been 12 pilots over two years in six states and interest from elsewhere in a number of other markets, not least of which the UK, which is great to hear. What more is needed around the blockchain technology or mobile voting platforms to help us scale? I think there's several things. And I think it's really understanding some of the things that Jason just mentioned about the interaction of the voting system to the 
jurisdiction and how to make sure that the whole system is secure. One of the projects that we're going to be working on that Jason is helping us with too is you know, maybe trying to gather more information on what's out there currently that could improve security, both using blockchain or other technologies. And the current systems that we've used and the current vendors we've worked with have all been privately owned. And as Jason mentioned, we really feel like maybe in this space, we need to go to more of an open source solution. So we'd like to start gathering opinions and maybe some of your listeners would have some ideas on like, what additional components to the security could we add on? You know, in the U.S., there seems to be kind of a debate. Like people understand that if you use blockchain technology to allow people to use their phones to vote, you'll increase accessibility. But there's a lot of concern around computer science experts that then that would be a breach or a lack of securities. And so everything's been framed, security versus accessibility. At Tusk, we believe that we need to increase both, right? So so we should be looking at ways to do this and not just putting it off down the road, down the road, down the road till some perfect time or place or system exists because that's actually never going to happen. That's why we're doing pilots and building on this. And like I mentioned, any of the blockchain voting pilots we've had have had no security problems. You know, I think Jason always warns us security isn't static, right? So you have to keep going all the time and, and keep improving it. But I think what needs to happen to scale is that there has to be more of a consensus in the security community that this can be done safely and securely. And I think it may be at a point where we need to just bring in a lot more people to help us assess it, give their opinion, figure out what the long-term solutions are. And then I think, you know, but, but also given the situation we're in right now with COVID, I think there's also an understanding that we need to come up, not just for uh, reasons of accessibility, but safety and health to have options to vote, not having to go to a singular polling place on a certain day where you may end up in a situation where you're risking your health. So there's a lot of work to do on this, but I think we have a lot of promise because like I mentioned, the ones that have happened already have been no problem, no problem around security. And some of the vendors we've worked with are more cloud-based than blockchain-based. And at Tusk, we're really vendor agnostic and technology agnostic. We think there's a lot of promise in blockchain. If tomorrow some new technology was invented that was more safe and secure, we'd be open to that too. But I think to really scale, we need to have a more robust consensus around security experts that this is the way to go and it can be done safely and securely. Right now, I feel like we end up answering, you know, a lot of hypothetical questions on if this, 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 and this happened, what would you do? When you're doing something new, you're always compared to perfection instead of compared to the current system. There's a lot of issues in the current system around all kinds of things. So I think, interestingly, election directors themselves understand the risk reward because they know that nothing exists currently that's perfect or foolproof but that you want to make it as secure and safe as possible, but still making it so that people can vote easily. And so I think just continuing to build on that, trying to get more like blockchain experts, security experts to reach a consensus. And I think the other thing that Jason mentioned is like, what are the components of a voting system that you need to be able to deliver a safe and secure methodology? And what are the standards for those? And I think that's the kind of next level of work we need to do to continue to scale. There's a lot in that, Sheila, and thank you for taking us through it. Jason, would there be anything to add from your side, you know, technically, standards-wise, architecturally? 
Is there more that we need to be able to scale or are we in a good place now and we just need to proliferate? Well, I think it's really interesting. You know, this is a really great time to try to solve something like this. You know, if you look at identity vendors, so we're at the precipice of solving some really great identity problems. You know, we're adding biometrics and multi-factor authentication to things. We're right at the right time to do that type of work, which has always been just inherently a problem in just general voting and elections. And then we have data transmission and data security, which has really evolved over the last five years in the security space and has got to a point that I think is very good and, and we're in a good spot. And then you have technologies like blockchain and hashgraph and other cryptographic methods to do immutable type data sets. And so all of these are converging right around the same time. And none of them are infallible. No technology is infallible, but they're all at a really good mature state that by combining all of them together, we can actually scale this thing. And, and all of these are scalable type tools. You know, we have very, very robust cloud systems that are relatively secure. So I think we're at a really good time to at least start piloting and testing this type of work. You know, I always say that if there was no Tusk and there was no shift state security, there would still be mobile voting vendors still coming out there and really doing whatever they want and not really thinking about the security implications of it. And so for us coming in very early and start thinking about this now, we'll get to a point where we're going to be very safe at doing voting. I mean, we, we already do mobile banking. We're already very comfortable online doing sensitive actions. And I think we'll get to a point, depending on what time scale you're on, I mean, you could maybe say three years, five years, or 10 years, or 20 years, we will get to a point where voting will be very comfortable with the safety and the security of voting, but we just don't know when that will be. And it sounds like we're on the right track. So keep up the good work, the both of you. Sheila, I'm curious to know, are there other applications for this technology as we look at being able to record information on a mobile device, if we're able to reach the diaspora outside of a particular jurisdiction or location, if we're able to securely transmit sensitive information and keep the accountability of what's happened when it's gone before, do you see other applications outside the political sphere where this technology can be applied? Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the the interesting thing, uh, some of the vendors we work with, they are using this even more for board of directors elections, for the rock and roll hall of fame, for, you know, for all different kinds of things where voting is part of it, student government. A lot of universities have now, which makes a lot of sense because younger people are very comfortable doing things on their phone. They're conducting their student elections using blockchain voting apps. And so I think there's a lot of space in the universities and the public sector. You could do proxy meetings with shareholders. I mean, one of the things that's interesting when you get into these new technologies and ease of voting, whether it's in a municipal and government sense or in the, you know, the business world or elsewhere, a lot of times you hear questions about security and there are some, and we obviously wanna work on that and make everything secure, but it's also used as an excuse by people who really don't want the current system to change. And whether it's an interest group that benefits from low turnout elections or a politician who's figured out how to make themselves successful when you only have 15% turnout in a primary, or whether it's a university system that says, you know, the student government doesn't really want to have all the students voting because then they can keep control. So it's very interesting to try to separate both the real arguments and the real discussion you need to have on security and tune out the people who are saying it but aren't really concerned with that, they're using it as an excuse. And so one of the things that we always say is we really want to talk to people on security issues 
and mobile voting, but we want people who are skeptical, but open-minded. So therefore, yes, you have a concern, but you agree with the goal of having more people vote and more people participate, whether it's you know across the board in government where we're focused or other places. And so that's, you know, that's one of those things that's kind of interesting to see. But yeah, I think the, the technology can be used, the, the voting technology can be used across the board. And Jason, any thoughts from your side on where else this technology might have applications? Well, for blockchain, absolutely. I think we're seeing the surge in companies actually using it for IT purposes. I'm, I'm seeing technology companies use it for immutable logs and, and things of that nature. In terms of mobile voting, I think because, you know, as I described, the architecture from end to end of mobile voting is very complex. But what's really interesting about it is that we can combine all of these things and we can have consensus and knowledge that we've created this secure vote, I think there's plenty of other applications where we can take the same kind of architecture and design and the same technologies and put it into other things. I mean, maybe we now start using it for mobile banking applications to make them even more secure. I imagine there's plenty of other really interesting ideas that can come from the architecture and design of something like this. I think where we need a little bit more help is from more open source developers that would be really interested in building part of the architecture. So that's something that we're, we're taking on as an initiative to, to start looking for developers in the space that are willing to solve some of the problems. And then I think what would be really interesting is if we can get some of the large vendors that are involved in a lot of these processes to get a little bit deeper involved. So companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Apple and Google, who essentially have the platforms that we're, we're casting the votes on, like the iOS phone, and the Android phones or from the Microsoft operating system or using Amazon's cloud infrastructure, if we can get these larger companies that have very mature security programs involved, I think that'll help the process as well. Great stuff. Thank you for that, Jason. And it sounds like you're already looking for developers. And I suspect off the back of this session today, there'll be a number of other people looking to wing their way to your doors. Sheila, where can people find out more about the work that you're doing with Tusk or some of the projects that you've been working on? Well, the first place to go is our website. It's mobilevoting.org, and it has descriptions of all our pilots and our thought process and what we're doing. So that's a great place to find out information and just kind of get a general sense of everything. And then if there's anyone who's interested in participating in some of this technology development or thinking through how we can continue to scale, people should feel free to email me. It's Sheila at tuskholdings.com. So we'd be really, really excited to hear from people that have ideas around voting systems, security systems, and other ways that we continue to make this more secure and more scalable. Great stuff. And dare I ask, Jason, you're a man who's deeply focused on privacy and security. Do you want the community reaching out? Are you looking for people to connect with you as well? Absolutely. Yeah, they can go to our website, Shift State Security. And then there's a way to reach out to us online. We have a bunch of reports there that you can read that we've already sent out publicly in in terms of looking at uh, vendors and some of the vulnerabilities that we found in, in the vendors. So we'd be glad to hear from the public about interesting ideas. And you could reach us directly through the website there. Sheila, Jason, thank you so much for coming on today. Really fascinating space and something that I suspect people didn't know as much about at the beginning of the show as they do now. So thank you for sharing your knowledge. Really excited to follow the work that you're doing on future pilots and hopefully getting into production into more states, more countries and applying this technology in the way that it should and can be used. Thanks very much for coming on Blockchain Won't Save the World and have a great rest of your week. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony. You too. 
Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.